have a, a little bit of a plan. Know what you're going to do, but just kind of run through your mind a little bit what you would do and how you get things started so that it's... Because once, once it happens, especially if it happens in front of you like it, it often does, things happen very quickly and you, and you may not have time to make the plan at that point. Enchanted Sky Media. Media. From the Federal Resources Studio, this is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Code 3 features interviews with leading members of the fire service, discussing firefighting strategy, tactics, and other topics you need to know more about. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again here on Code 3. This is the show for and about firefighters. We're informing and entertaining members of the fire service, just like you, from coast to coast. Have you ever been off-duty driving somewhere and come upon a crash scene? What should you do? What gear do you have in your POV? And most importantly, are you prepared to be a help and not a hindrance? My guest today has some thoughts on that. Michael Fraley is coordinator of the North Central Wisconsin Regional Trauma Advisory Council. Mike has worked as a flight paramedic, an EMS service manager, and an assisted living facility owner and administrator. And Mike Fraley joins me now. Welcome to Code 3. Howdy. Thank you for uh, having me on. This is a trickier question than it might seem. Let's start with whether you should become involved at all. If you have the patient's only hope, then sure you'd want to. But what if there's already somebody on scene? What should you do then? Yeah, that's a, a good question to start with because uh, I've, I've been a number of times already going past something and there, there already seems to be plenty of help there. And, and oftentimes I'll decide not to. If it looks like there's there's help there and they have it under control, then, then I decide I'm probably not going to contribute to any more confusion and just keep going. But if, if there's nobody else there or maybe just a few citizens, then I, I'll definitely stop. Now, what do you carry in terms of gear in your own vehicle? I have really just basic first aid supplies, if you will. It's just a, a basic little little jump bag, just a small little thing that I can grab. It doesn't take up a whole lot of space in my car. Uh, there's no medications, nothing that's going to expire, nothing that's you know sensitive to the extremes of temperature that our, our vehicles uh, see, but stuff that, you know, I can stop bleeding. I can, you know, assist with uh, mouth-to-mask uh, ventilation if someone's not, not breathing, tourniquet, of course, some triage tags, pen and paper to take some notes. Just, like I said, just some real basic stuff. Gloves, but you don't carry any ALS supplies in your personal vehicle, then, do you? No, that's that's something I I thought about, and and I know a lot of folks do, and you know if that works for them, that's great. But kind of my experience has been that you usually don't don't need them. Things happen pretty quickly, and by the time you do the you know the assessment, the scene size up, um, make sure that the right help is on the way, do a little bit of a BLS care, then then usually other help is is on scene. Plus, you know, there's certain certain issues of liability and, and uh, medical direction 
for the advanced skills in my particular situation, my particular state, you know, you do have to have a medical director's approval to do that stuff. And I'm not positive that if I was somewhere else in the state that, that my medical director would be able to, to cover me for that. So I, I chose not to. Let's talk about that for a moment. Paramedics usually work under a doctor at a hospital by standing orders. So does that mean that people who are generally under those standing orders can do everything they're equipped to do when they're off duty? Certainly, each situation can be a little bit different, and and various medical directors may approach it differently. But I think the black and white of it would be that when you're in your service area, you know, the area that's covered by the service that you work for and that your medical director is providing the orders for, and if you're considered to be on duty by that service, then you would be covered. And in a lot of places, including my place, if if I was in my own town and I stopped to help with a call, my service would definitely consider me on duty, even if I wasn't scheduled and part of the responding crew, they, they'd cover me because it, it's part of the greater good and, and serving our community. But if I was 100 miles away in a whole different side of the state or different county you know, that's not covered by my service, I, I'm concerned that legally if I would be covered uh, by those orders because you know, technically the medical director doesn't have authority over another services area. It sounds like if for some reason it's never come up that you might want to ask before you get into the situation what the specific legalities are. Yeah, yeah, that'd be a great advice to somebody that want to do something like that. So what steps do you want to take if you say that you're first on the scene of a major motor vehicle crash? Well, first thing is uh, figuring out where I'm going to put my vehicle. Kind of have to take a look at the scene and see what's what's the safest area where I'm going to be out of the way so that any other responders coming in, you know, the fire apparatus, law enforcement, EMS units, I'm not going to block them. I'm also going to be, you know, want to be in a position where I can then leave, you know, when my, when my uh, duties are done and I've been relieved, um, I can get out of the way. I also don't want to hinder the visibility of the scene. If, if someone else is already there, maybe a law enforcement officer is already there with their lights on. I wouldn't want to park behind them because then that would block the view of their lights from any oncoming traffic. So Let me jump in here yeah. for a moment. I think given the number of cases we've heard of people who've actually crashed into a fire rig at a scene, that your average SUV's four-way flashers would not be very good in terms of alerting people like that, that you're stopped for an emergency. Yeah, that's, that's definitely true. You know, it's amazing what people don't see. And if, if I was going to you know park my vehicle before the scene and and just do the flashers, I, I don't have any emergency lighting on my vehicle. So if I if I were to park and leave the four-way flashers on, I'd, I'd be sure to park a ways before the scene, you know, to, again, to give the room for other vehicles to come in. And then also if, if heavens forbid, somebody were to hit my vehicle, then it, it wouldn't crash into the rest of the scene. It hopefully stopped before they, they got to us. All right, so you figured out where to put your vehicle. What would you do next in this situation? Next would kind of be a, the second stage of, of scene safety would be looking at that crash scene and just seeing you know all the stuff that we talk about as firefighters and, and EMS providers, uh, other safety issues. Is there a concern of any fire? Is there fluids leaking? Is the vehicle unstable? Did they 
hit any utilities? You know, are there any power lines or anything like that down that I need to be concerned about? So just doing a, a quick scan of that scene to make sure that it's safe before I even get to the car or the first potential victim. And at this point, you've got to consider that you should probably call 911. I'm wondering if you would call anyway, even if you knew somebody else had, because you have some specific knowledge of the situation and could help. You know, for the first couple minutes on scene, if, if I if I get there and there's somebody already there, I, I ask them, did you call 911? Or I instruct them to call 911 and, and call it in. And then, then I'll get a look at the patients and then, then maybe give a, a, an update call to 911. As long as somebody's made that initial call, I'm okay with that. I'll be back with more right after this. Federal Resources is a mission-critical solutions provider with only one goal, to empower and prepare the first responder for any threat, at home or abroad, that they are called on to respond to. Your mission is to protect and defend. Our mission is to make sure you're equipped with the knowledge and training on response techniques to current threats. We'll make sure you know the latest innovations in technology to ensure mission success every time. You look out for everyone else. Let us look out for you. Learn more at federalresources.com. Are you able to start any sort of treatment at this point? What can you do? Yeah, my next step would be to just make a quick sweep through the, you know, whatever vehicles were involved or, you know, if this wasn't a vehicle crash, if it was some sort of other incident, you know, whatever the case may be, um, check through and find out how many victims there are and do a, a quick triage of those patients, you know, using whatever triage system you like to use. In our trauma system up here in Wisconsin, we're encouraging people to move to the, the SALT triage uh, algorithm. But whatever it takes, you know, do some sort of sorting of the patients so you can kind of see what you got and, and what, what resources you need. If you have triage tags, that's great. Uh, those are always uh, helpful. But if not, you can still sweep through and get a, get a handle on that. And then at that point, I'd kind of need to make the decision. Do I need to call in and, and give the, the 911 telecommunicator some more information about the scene? Or could I tell a bystander to do it while I begin doing some, some patient care? And then when units show up, are they likely to want your help or are they more likely to say, all right, we'll take it from here? It, you know, it, it runs the gamut. In an area where they've got lots of resources that get there fairly quickly, you know, fire companies and, you know, one or two ambulances, depending on how many patients there are, they might not need your help. And and because they don't know you, they know, you know really don't know what you're skill set is or capabilities, they may relieve you and, and say thanks and and you're done. In other situations where it's a rural setting and it's a long time between responders arriving on scene, that, that first crew may be very appreciative to have a little bit more help on scene. Has this situation ever arisen for you? Yeah, I've, I've had a, a couple times. The, the most memorable one was one where I was just kind of heading down the, the main stretch of highway in my area and a little ways up ahead of me, I saw a vehicle veering towards the center and went into the, the center. There's, It's a divided highway and just started going into the center. And then they hit one of those areas where the law enforcement officers cross over. And she just happened to hit that. And the car went airborne for a little bit, just kind of like a going off of a jump and came back down on the other side and, and came to a rest. I stopped. A couple other people stopped pretty quickly. Luckily, amazingly, the, the person wasn't seriously injured. 
she was having some sort of a medical issue that caused her to have a, an altered level of consciousness. That's why she veered off the road. And we actually had, had a little trouble because her car was completely locked and she wasn't following commands enough to, to unlock the doors for us. So our first couple minutes were spent just trying to get into the vehicle to, to see if she was injured. And then shortly after we, we gained access, the, the fire department and uh, EMS units arrived on scene. Once they arrived, was it hard for you to just leave and go on about your business at that point? It, it was a little bit. The crew was had enough help. They had had, you know, it was only one patient and they had a, a number of crew members, so they didn't really need my help. I, I gave them what little information I had about her at that point and what little in, uh, assessment that I'd done was passed on to them real quick. And they said, okay, we'll, we'll be good from here. And I grabbed my kit and the other responder that had stopped and I talked to her for a second and, and we, we moved off. There was law enforcement there, so we, we stopped and, and checked with the law enforcement. They requested our name and uh, contact information, and then, then we were done. It was a little bit tough because I was really curious as to what was the cause of her, her altered level of consciousness. I certainly had some, some thoughts about what it probably was, but would have loved to have, have known how she did and, and if she had any injuries, but I wasn't able to do that, and that's, that's okay. And so you went on about your life not knowing what happened with your victim. I knew that, you know, I, I stopped and did what I could to, to help and make sure that she was okay and let, let someone else take it from there. Having been through this, what is the one piece of advice you would give if you could only give one piece to somebody coming up on the scene where they may have to do some treatment? I think the main thing would be to just have a, a little bit of a plan. Know what you're going to do. Have, you know, at least some some exam gloves handy, you know, so you're not scrambling to look for those if, if the patient, you know, has, has blood or whatever. But just ha- kind of run through your mind a little bit what you would do and how you would get things started so that it's... Because once, once it happens, especially if it happens in front of you like it, it often does, things happen very quickly, and you, and you may not have time to make the plan at that point. Good point. All right, Mike Fraley, thanks for talking with me today on Code 3. Thank you very much. And we put some more information on what to do if you run across a medical emergency while off-duty on our website at Code3Podcast.com slash off-duty. All one word, off-duty. Check it out. Here comes your trivia question. What are the major effects of epinephrine? I'll have the answer right after this. Now's your chance to get your hands on Code 3 t-shirts, sweatshirts, and more. Show your support for the podcast that supports firefighters from coast to coast. Just go to Code3Podcast.com and click on the Code 3 store link. Or go to Code3Podcast.com slash shop and tell the world that you're a Code 3 fan. Here's your trivia answer. Epinephrine is a bronchodilator and a vasoconstrictor. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. like to hear from you and what you think of this show. Just email me, scott at code3podcast.com. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more, and I hope you join me. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, stay safe. 
Code 3 is made possible through the generous support of Federal Resources. Visit them at federalresources.com. This show is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To contact us, get more information on today's show, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to code3podcast.com.